Hello and welcome to Weird Together, the show where we celebrate the latest and greatest in independent horror films. I'm Brendan Storr, host of the Ghost Story Guys podcast. And I am Joseph Kamau, host of The Cardinal Rule. We're not critics. We're not experts. We're just weird together. Joseph, my friend, how are you? I'm good. You know, uh, I'm kind of at this point. Uh, I've got this kind of stage I go through when the semester ends where I don't do shit for like two weeks. Right. And I just kind of take on no responsibilities. And I've just come out of that right now. So I'm in summer break. And I'm now at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to do some things productive, but I'm not going to do too much. So I get myself like one thing I want to get done each day. So I'm, so I just feel like I'm getting a little bit done and I'm not being a complete lazy piece of shit, but <laughs> I'm still living the good life. You know, that, that, you know, being a professor and having, you know, kind of a, a kind of a cool laid back summer. So overall I'm doing well, Brent, how are you? Good, man. Good. I'm good. I'm back in Victoria, as you can tell from my terribly cluttered backdrop, which I have not yet had time to, uh, to, make camera ready I, I this place always looks like a bomb goes off because it's my office joseph and i am uh i'm a cluttered man but uh no other than that i'm good i'm settling back in after eight months in montreal and really just kind of loving being home and being with my wife being with my cats i got my nice nice television so i can watch movies like the film we're about to cover and uh just sort of enjoy myself so no i'm i'm very good and i'm looking forward to talking about this film because uh, this is, I think, the first returning creative team we've had on this show, if it I'm is. not mistaken. And of course, that film is Bury the Bride. And now Bury the Bride tells a story of, well, tells a story of the bachelorette party from hell, which is saying something because <laughs> I, I don't know about bachelorette parties, but I've been to one bachelor party, not for me. And uh, of course, this film goes all kinds of places. And we will say, if you have any, uh, it, basically, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. So if you are, if you want to preserve the secret, uh, I do suggest that, uh, well, Jesus, keep like, leave it open in a, in a window or something. We need the, we need the, we need the views, but <laughs> we'll take the know. views. Yeah. yeah, yeah Go watch the it. film and then come back. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The audio version of this will post in like a week or something. So by the audio only version, but anyways, yes. And of course it is directed by spider one who also directed allegoria. And it was written by him and Chrissy Fox, who was one of the stars of Allegoria, which again, we did previously on this show. And uh, of course, before we break down Bury the Bride, well, we have to talk about what you go into a movie with, because you never watch a movie entirely on its own, Joseph. We always like to say that you bring every other movie into the theater or into the living room with you, because this was a 2B exclusive. And so before we talk about Bury the Bride, we have to talk about the baggage. <laughs> All right. So Joseph, what was your baggage going into Bury the Bride? Well, as you as you mentioned, we we had reviewed or discussed um Allegory, which was by the same, you know, uh team that did uh this film. So I already had that going into, which is, you know, most of the films we talk about, I uh, you know, because I'm kind of new to what we're doing, you know, and and don't have kind of the back catalog you do in terms of viewing indie horror films. A lot of times it's the first film I've seen from from the filmmaker. So so this is one of the few times where I was familiar with their work. So certainly that, you know, that came in with me. But also, you know, after we did that episode on Allegoria, uh, we we both had some some interactions in social media with Spider-One. Um, you know, he he commented that he had listened to it and and 
he was so gracious. I mean, he was great. I mean, I yeah. really, I, you know, became a fan of just him as a person. I, and I've watched some interviews with him really down to earth, really laid back. And I, you and I have kind of talked about this, you know, he's achieved some success in the music industry, you know, obviously. And, and I would it's say more than some success. I mean, yeah. he's a legitimate rock star. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it's kind of interesting because people who become very successful often are kind of down to earth. I mean, there's always exceptions. It, the people who are kind of full of themselves are often the, the aspirational types. Uh, it seems sure. like we're trying to get there. I know you and I have talked about this offline before, but like, I, you know, he just seems like a good guy down to earth is very humble in his interviews and personable. And, and he was very kind and gracious in our interaction. So, so, you know, I kind of go into this a little bit of a fan. And so certainly that's some of the baggage I brought in going into this film. Yeah. Same here. Um, and again, you and I have talked about this extensively offline, but yeah, that, that, that makes a difference, man. And again, it was just a little thing. It's not like he spent a lot of time on it, but you know, we tried to, obviously I made some pretty glib jokes that in retrospect, this being a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit older and wiser now. And I think oh, that was maybe not necessary, but he was still very gracious. And yeah. again, it was just a little thing, but it, he's the only filmmaker we've covered on this show to do that. And, and then who gives a fuck, right? Like we have, you know, yeah. we have, a, we, we love our audience, but we don't have a massive audience or anything. So we don't expect anyone to reach out to us. That's just not the nature of the game, but still that he did was very welcome. And we're going to talk more in the Toctagon about blue collar filmmaking because it's very much a blue collar film, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I, that's certainly not a pejorative. I, you know, I I think that's a thing to be admired. But yeah, so that that sort of set me up to appreciate it definitely. Yeah. Uh, the only the other thing was you know it was a it was a Tubi exclusive, which kind of surprised me because mm-hmm. um, I mean Tubi's great. I mean Tubi is <laughs> the run, one of the running jokes among film critics and people on film Twitter is like Tubi's going to win the streaming wars. You know, after everything collapses, Tubi's going to be the one that's still standing. <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, I, was, I thought maybe it might go with a larger distributor. But, I mean, so many people use Tubi. I think that's maybe the, the best way for this to get eyes on, you know. So uh, th- I think that surprised me. But I don't think it, I, it in any way sort of made me doubtful about the film's quality, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, no, I think that in terms of baggage, I think that was it. That was it for me as well. I think you, you basically covered it. Real quick, I want to say Derek uh, is in the chat. Good evening, oh, hey, from Derek. So, uh, you know, thank you for being with us, and thank you for uh, anyone else who's hanging out with us. Uh, appreciate you hanging out with us on this fine evening. Absolutely. All right, Joseph. Well, we have covered the baggage, and now it's time to really talk about the meat of the thing. And there's only one place we can do that. That's the Doctor God. Welcome to the Doctor God. Two men enter. Two men leave. All right, my friend, why don't you get us started? What did you think of Bury the Bride? So overall, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, and I, I thought it was nice to see Spider One and Chrissy uh, Fox do something different than Allegoria. Yeah. Um, you know, do you know? Obviously, they're they're leaning into the horror film genre, but they did something different. And the more I've sat with it, I really appreciated the feel and the style of it. You know, there were a few critiques that we had and, that, you know, it was his first film. And I think he would probably have critiques looking at it himself. Uh, but I, I like the style of allegory better just in general. But I appreciated that he did something different that was maybe a more standard kind of horror film. So that was it was nice to see him being aware enough of the threat of being kind of a one trick pony. Right. And kind of going and trying something different 
you know, I know you've watched some interviews with him and I, I, I did just, you know, recently. And he talked about with their next film, they're trying to do something different as well. And so I think that that was nice to see. Yeah, very much so. I, I also liked the film quite a bit. Um, and I, I appreciated that not only did they change things up from Allegoria, but I thought it represented a really significant progression in terms of filmmaking skill. Mm -hmm. Again, Allegoria was, was good. I really enjoyed it. But it was a bit of a shaggy dog in terms yeah. of its construction. Whereas this is so much more tight and so much slicker. Yeah. And when you consider, I, I discovered this when doing research for the show, they shot it in seven fucking days. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Seven and, and night shoots. So seven days of night shoots, seven. It's that's, 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 it's ridiculous. I mean, right. I, like the, I cannot imagine how difficult that must've been. And uh, I mean, apparently they were fighting weather. There was always blowing weather or blowing wind rather. It was blistering hot in the day and freezing cold at night. There were rattlesnakes and spiders. Absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. So, but despite all that, it was still, uh, again, I thought a real quantum leap over Allegoria in terms of quality. And there's some stuff, again, we'll talk about a little bit later that uh, I've heard Spider say in interviews about just kind of wanting to grow and improve. And, and that's something that you and I have talked about. With this, I mean, obviously we're not artists at that level, but you know, I think that's a sign of a great artist is when you, you say, okay, I've done this thing and I, I've done it, but now I want to be better. I don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. I want to be better. And I think that's true of his musical career. Uh, I, I have to say, I'm not as familiar with, with the high Fox, with Christy Fox's band, but um, you know, I just, I, I respect that. I respect that drive to be better each time, to do something different each time. Cause it, it, it's easy to do the same shit. That's something that um, there are a handful of filmmakers out there who do that every time they try and do something a little bit different. And I mean, that can actually be a, uh, I've, I've heard that can actually be a, a, a net negative mm. for a filmmaker. You know, the, uh, the filmmaker, Adam Green, I used to listen to his movie crypt podcast quite a bit. And this is a guy who's done sitcoms and, and horror and uh, sort of thrillers. And he said that he was told, you know, you should really kind of stick in one box because it's easier to sell you as a talent mm. if people know you for a thing. So again, j just another reason to admire the creative team behind this film for doing something different. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder how much of that comes from maybe some freedom that they, they have because they've already built their careers, you know, in music yeah. and they're trying to become good filmmakers and, and do, you know, and, and grow that. But I, I, maybe there's a little um, less desperation and more freedom to kind of do what feels creatively right to them. Um, so I, I think that might be part of why they do that. Yeah, that could very well be. Yeah. No, I, and yeah, you described the film as kind of very kind of well put together and a little tighter, you know, than, than allegory. And I would agree with that. I think allegoria was a little more unique and there were some things about that that kind of I kind of really enjoyed about kind of that aspect of it, but this felt a little more like a professional film in terms of that, you know, kind of the, the, those, those pieces of it, a little more conventional in terms of the way it all fit together. The acting I thought was pretty solid. I mean, you know, we've, we've watched a lot of films <laughs> with spotty acting. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, overall it was, it was all pretty, it was all pretty good here in this film. I thought. Yeah, that was something that really jumped out at me, not just the acting, but the characterizations. I, I think the acting is strong because, at least in part, because the writing is strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, 
I, I could be wrong. I'm not a filmmaker, right? But I think if you've got six days to do something, you got to know what you want from your people and they have to be able to give it to you. And that has to be kind of, I think, spelled out in the script. You can't, you can't riff if you got seven days. Yeah. And sure. I, it, yeah, that really, again, I think the, the, the strength of it was the characterizations because the, the buildup, of course, the bachelorette party is the two sisters, uh, Sadie and June, mm-hmm. and then their friends, Carmen, Lizzie, and I can't, I want to say Betty, but I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I think the actress's name was Katie, but regardless, you've got the friends and they really felt like it felt like a lived in world. It felt like they felt like people you would know people you could know. You know, it, it just felt like a very real set of relationships, particularly the the sistership, the sister relationship between June and Sadie. You yeah. you believed it. So the 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 party was Sadie, June, Carmen, Liz, and Betty. Just Betty. To, okay, so I was right. It was Betty. Yeah. yeah. And no, absolutely. So I, again, I think that works because the the characters work. Real quick, I want to say hey to Ren, who's joined us. Hi guys, sorry I'm late. Last hey, track of last Wednesday month. Appreciate you being with us. The interview I, I I watched with Spider and Chrissy, they talked about that a bit, those relationships. And I think it was a combination of the actors and intentionality. So on the intentionality side, Spider One was talking about how they wanted to write the women characters in a way that was, you know, realistic. In the interview, he was talking about how he wanted to write them as flawed people that there's this pressure as sort of, you know, kind of in, in, in art filmmaking because of the marginalization of women to maybe back away from depicting them as imperfect. Right. And so it's a delicate dance, you know, and delta delicate line of how to write that in a way that is not, you know, kind of hearkening back to the marginalization of women. And I think they did a good job of that. So, you know, that was intentional that they wanted to have these relations, the sister relationship kind of complicated, the friendship relationships complicated. But there was, I think it's also the actors because, you know, Chrissy was talking about her, her, uh, her close friendship with Scout, who plays June, you know, they're, they're close friends. And actually, you know, I, th- I think, I mean, many of the actors in this were also an allegoria. So I think there, a lot of them are kind of friends that, that kind of, probably work together and, 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 you know, have those relationships, you know, uh, the character June was, was Ivy from Allegoria, right. The, the woman who was on a date with the guy oh, and she course, killed him. Yeah. Right. Now I, I happen to know it's just because I looked it up. I didn't know, catch this myself, but, uh, Carmen and Liz were the women in the, the, the scene from the, the film big baby that was an allegoria. They were the two oh, women that okay. were running away from, you know, there's a little segment of a, a fictitious yeah, yeah. film. So they were in there. Uh, and then, you know, you, you may, I don't know if you might've caught this Mike, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the guys, uh, he was the whistler in allegoria. Yes. Um, the, the actor, Adam uh, Markinowski. So, so I think, I think those, that that probably helped them quite a bit those those existing friendships to make those relationships between those women in, in the film feel very realistic and, and and complicated and authentic yeah there was uh there was a moment again before the turn because the film has a turn there was a moment where uh Sadie uh Chrissy Fox and June scout uh Taylor Compton are they're kind of sniping, sniping at each other about Sadie's divorce. And again, having seen that conver- variations of that conversation, uh, again, just felt very, very real. And this is not an original thought to me. I've seen other people say this, but I very much agree. 
if the film had just been about this bachelorette party, I actually mm-hmm. would have watched it. As far as uh, you know, as dramatic tension goes, I, if if it was just about these people in a cabin hashing out their shit, I probably would have just watched that. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was compelling enough that I I think that would have it would have worked. And then of course, June's uh, mystery mysterious fiance David turns up with his his asshole friends, <laughs> and again. I've met those people, you know, I'm from a small town in the mountains. I've met those guys mm-hmm. and I don't like them very much. Uh, now, and I know in, in, again, in interviews, uh, Spider and Chrissy have said they wanted to make those guys as smart and likable as the girls. And I thought, well, no, they're clearly not stupid, but likable is not happening. Right. Uh, but again, that's me because I grew up around people like that and I mm. just can't fucking stand them. But again, very realistic in the depiction of it, that sort of gruff, what's the word I'm looking for? Gruff, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing at something that only I think is funny and I'll not, not tell you what is what it actually is because they want to try and provoke a reaction of insecurity. Mm-hmm. It, it, it all rings very true. And I mean, I wanted them all to fall down a, a very deep hole. So, <laughs> you know, poked some landmines I didn't realize were there. Yeah, I, I I do think he, I think they did a good job of of making those characters, avoiding them being, you know, kind of too much of a cliche in terms of you know, you know they like you mentioned like I, I saw him say the similar thing. He wanted them to be charming and and smart in their own way, and you know maybe they they weren't likable, but like there was you could see how you know some of the characters maybe had a little bit of a ability to control social situations with their personality right you know they and yeah, they certainly I, I, were not they were certainly were not stupid they may not have been quote unquote culture to know what that wine was but they weren't stupid right yeah i think the character uh of was it mike the big guy from mm-hmm. allegoria mm-hmm. Uh, you know when he's flirting with with carmen i mean yeah i can again i've seen that work i've seen that interaction between the the, the very very beautiful party girl and the slightly gruff but still has some mojo, uh, you know, some mojo uh, mountain man guy. I mean, there's a story a long time ago, but I used to date a girl who worked in a bar and uh, spent a lot of time in a bar. This is a different time of my life. But um, she was the kind of kind of girl like guys would try and do shit to impress her. So mm-hmm. there was one guy, uh, he, he, he bit, in, he said, I can chew glass. There's a trick to it. You know, there's all these old guys. Like, there's a trick. I'll teach you how to knife fight. You know, it's all this horse shit. <laughs> But this one guy's, oh, I'll teach you how to bite glass. And he literally bit his pint glass in front of her and started chewing it. And of course he started bleeding and it was, it was just a whole thing. But you know, there was, I, I, if I said she wasn't at all impressed, I think I'd be lying a little bit. So, you know, there is, <laughs> those guys have a certain amount of, a certain amount of charm, a certain amount of mojo and, and it worked. And again, um, if it had just been about the awkwardness there, again, I, I would have watched. Although I will say, in if I was in that situation, really, mm-hmm. I'm out. One, you've dragged me out to the goddamn desert. Right. No, <laughs> zero stars already. I don't like Las Vegas. I would rather go to Las Vegas and go to some cabin in the friggin' desert. So strike one. Strike two. Your fiance turns up. Like if I'm imagining this from a man's point of view. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. We're gonna be hanging out with your girlfriend who I don't like already. Good. Well, this is fantastic. This is just. <laughs> are we gonna play some board games? Let's just make this as worse as it possibly could be. Maybe you can have a domestic argument in front of me and then just be really quiet and make the room tense for the rest of the night. Nah, they're just the cherry on top. You know? <laughs> so it, again, I, I, there's a lot of, 
a lot of shit that I thought mm, this is this is not for me. And again, I, I think would have made for a compelling drama if it had just been just been a drama drama. But of course, it was it was not a drama because no. spoiler. Those motherfuckers are vampires. <laughs> I appreciated the twist. And I, oh, yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't watch or read anything about the film, you know, beforehand. In no, I went in so, blind. Yeah. So I didn't know that that was coming. I, I enjoyed yeah. the way they revealed it. It obviously, when you see it with the reveal, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's like that DiCaprio meme. <laughs> you know point screen, <laughs> right you know like yeah uh like you know like you know when when, when he's taking the, the selfie with her right? and um i really enjoyed it it caught me off guard and that doesn't happen very often it's hard for a film to catch me off guard like that these days and you know i thought it was going to be just an escape from the hillbillies movie and so i appreciated that right um <laughs> Derek saying, with that reveal, I was going, okay, okay, they're hillbilly, serial, rabies, wait, vampires, really? So, yeah. So, <laughs> fair, I, mean, I okay, just thought fair. they were going to murder her and, and bury her, right? You know, that's, I mean, I think that's probably what the intent was to set it up with the shovel, right? And so it was, it was, the twist was appreciated. Oh, yeah. And again, I thought the way they chose to reveal it with the selfie, mm-hmm. I thought that was great. That was clever. Um, no, that was really, really good. And even again, prior to the reveal, as she's driving away, as Carmen is driving away with the guys, you know, under the guise that uh, they're going to go hunting. Have you ever seen the Australian film Wake and Fright? I have not. So it's on Shudder. Um, it's, it was directed by the great Ted Kotcheff, who would go on to direct uh, Stallone in First Blood, the first Rambo film. Mm-hmm. But it is this, uh, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like a horror movie about these, this Australian teacher in a small town who's really from the big city, but he has to work off his school debt by teaching in these small towns. He loses all his money while on his way home for Christmas playing um, gambling in this tiny, tiny town when he has to get off the train and he's broke. He can't get home. And he ends up in this days long bacchanal with these characters who are actually not all that dissimilar from David and Mike and the guys in the film. And it's a horror show. And I, I don't know if, uh, if that was an intentional, uh, not an homage exactly, but if, sort of, if that was an intentional sort of nod in that direction, but it, it had that feeling because Carmen obviously threw herself into that situation and, and, you know, she strikes me as the kind of person who, and again, I've, I've met people like this, who they're very beautiful, they're very commanding, and they're, they sort of get this idea that, well, I can manipulate my way out of a situation if I need to. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, there's no situation I can put myself in that I can't somehow talk my way out of or like assert my, you know, like assert my power out of. And, and I mean, as Car- I mean, as Carmen discovers, that's, that's not the case. And and certainly I've, <laughs> I've known people who've had that experience in real life. They thought, well, no, I got this. <laughs> well, not vampires. Yeah. Okay. Emotional vampires. Okay. There you go. Real quick, Rin saying that smells like a Stephen King twist, and then it's a big bug. Get it? Yeah. (laughs) This no, that's I mean maybe this that's not fair. I feel like late stage, late stage Stephen King, especially this is better than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, but yeah, so no, I I appreciated the twist uh, again, and I like that sort of that for me wake and fright vibe. It it also gave me uh, near dark vibes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. It's sort of a Western vampire film about set in Texas, as if I remember right, about this sort of roving group of vampires in the, like in the, not the West, but kind of in that, in the, the grand desert. And it, again, just has a, a little bit of that, 
Hmm, nice. I want to I want to talk about um, going back to the the film craft. You know, one of the things that I think Spider One as a filmmaker does well is he he seems to be really good with the setting up the shots and the lighting and all of that type of film craft. And especially when and I I knew they shot it over a short period of time, but I didn't realize it was seven days and and to get. You know, I think they did a hell of a job considering that. And like for me, there was one particular shot that I really enjoyed. Um, the scene that I that I really liked was, you know, they're at the they're in the kitchen, and when the knock on the door happens, I love the way the shot was set up. Just you know, kind of from the hall, I love that you have the knock, and everyone's just quiet and they stare and doesn't they don't say a thing, and the camera just slowly zooms in. And the shot was lit beautifully. It was perfect. And it was just, it, it was a really a great shot and scene. Just the way that like a lesser filmmaker would have, would have had them s- s- talk immediately. And the fact that he just left that silence and it felt realistic, like a knock yeah. on the door in the situation, what are you going to do? And, and yeah, that, that scene really stood out to me. Well, what's interesting about that to me is, you know, you and I have talked a lot recently about, films which are built for streaming mm-hmm. you know as particularly the, the film which will be not pardon me the film which will not be named mm-hmm. you know the filmmakers specifically said they built it to adhere to tubi algorithms mm-hmm. and it was just it felt just so hollow because the film consequently felt hollow yeah and whereas this you have a film which is very much a singular artistic vision but it's still released that way mm-hmm. and it kind of it kind of gives you hope a little bit for that platform you know that there's you can still uh, you can still make something that hues to a, an original vision and get it out there without having to um, pander to the algorithm. That, that said, I was looking at Letterboxd today because um, I, I, a lot of people review movies on Letterboxd. I don't. I just like to keep lists of what I've seen because I'm a big list nerd. But only 400 people on Letterboxd had logged this film, hmm. which is a fucking tragedy. Yeah. And so that's, that maybe that, Maybe that, you know, maybe that's an out, an outcome of having done it this way. You know, maybe the, the algorithm does not favor it for whatever reason. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that more people find the film because I think it's very much worth being found. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the description of their next film. I guess part of maybe what I'm hoping is that, that, that even if this doesn't get picked up or doesn't, I should say, doesn't get a lot of attention they're putting in their time. They're putting in their, their kind of their reps on doing film and each film's going to get that much better. Right. And, and if they stick with, which I'm sure they will, um, I think at some point people are going to start, you know, kind of catching on to their films, especially as they continue to hone their craft a bit. Yeah. The, the new film is going to be called little bites. Mm-hmm. I read what the description was. I don't recall anymore. Um, but, uh, uh, there, I think they should be starting to shoot it pretty soon. I think they said it was they're going to start, they, start shooting. Yeah, they'll be starting in June. Yeah. So yeah, something I was kind of I wanted to ask you about that mm-hmm. one of the vampires. Uh, he is a character played by Chaz Bono, the character of mm-hmm. Puppy. Yeah. And partway through the second act, or the the back half of the film, rather not the second act, it might even be the second act actually. Um, Puppy is revealed to be a victim of these guys. Mm-hmm. And is sort of a, uh, you know, he he was because we find out that these guys every couple of years they lure 
someone else out to the the property with this idea that they're going to get married. They kill everyone, drink their blood, and then they do it again once the heat dies down. And so Puppy says that, well, the year before, it was his sister. And mm-hmm. his they killed his sister. They killed his family. You know, he himself used to sell insurance. Now he's just their slave, basically. And after he says this, Chrissy shoots him. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadie shoots him because she doesn't believe him. Yeah. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about that. Because I I like Chaz Bono's performance mm-hmm. of the character. And I think what the character, you know, if I had to guess, I think the character was, t- was saying something that was true. Mm-hmm. But it, it seemed an odd thing to bring up and then never develop or pay off in any way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was probably, I mean, it's, from my viewpoint, probably was telling the truth as well, especially with the way that they treated the character throughout, you know, the, the rest of the guys. I think that was sort of one of those kind of badass, I'm taking charge moment. I don't care kind of a thing. Like there's a series of films and I, I it's, I, man, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but I've seen them. It's sort of this revenge film. This, um, it's uh, there's three films in the series and, and there's a woman who's, you know, uh, assaulted and nearly killed and then comes back and, and kills the people. Right. And who, who probably I spit on your grave. Uh, yep. That's it. Yeah. And I remember, so in the, so if you, you've seen those, the, the first one, there's the one character who you almost feel sorry for, who's kind of like the kind of, I don't want to give, you know, talk too much about that film, but, who was was still part of what happened to her, but he was kind of, you know, I think he w- had some learning disabilities and was kind of manipulated in the whole situation. And in that film, she was like, I don't care. And she still got her oh, revenge on okay. him as well. Right. So I think there's that that sort of a thing in a film. It, there, there's a precedent for that kind of thing. And it's sort of this moment where what you're doing is you're getting the audience to have some some sympathetic feelings for this character and thinking, oh, okay, there maybe she will let him go. And then you're like, no, and still, you know, exercises her revenge or whatever's going on, and it becomes a shocking moment. It's it's another it's a different way to kind of shock your audience. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I can seen from that perspective, I can uh, yeah. I can see it. Also, how great is it? That for a guy who, when we started the show, said, yeah, I don't really watch horror movies. You're now, you know, as in, as seen in I Spit on Your Grave, one right. through three. I'm, I love this. This makes me bring it up. <laughs> See what you've done to me. <laughs> I blame you, Bren. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, one other thing that I thought uh, didn't work before, because there's some more things I want to talk about that do work, mm-hmm. but I, I, I feel like it's important to. It would cover all the bases. One of the few things I thought didn't work is I just, I felt like some of the action beats mm-hmm. felt maybe rushed. Mm, yeah. Or, or I don't want to say clumsily staged, but they're perhaps not as fluidly staged as could be. But recognizing that it was shot, you know, they were shooting like 12 and a half pages a day. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to happen, right? Um, but I, I did kind of feel that, especially towards like when the turn, not not the turn, but sort of in the, End of Act Two after they're captured. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my act I don't fuck off about act act structure, so I'm, I'm pardon me if I'm getting this wrong. But but yeah, when the, when the women are captured and held in the barn, mm-hmm. I felt like there was a couple little bits there that I just thought, yeah, they're it moves in a very clunky way. You know, when she even when she takes the gun and shoots Mike, yeah, 
I thought that happened very slowly. I feel like these guys are what they are. Someone could have stopped that. But again, I wonder if that's just a function of, you know, we, we got we got two shots at this, you know. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, and that's probably one of those areas to continue to improve. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Something, you know, sort of the what some of that just didn't make sense other than a plot device to keep them alive. You know, why, you know, why yeah. did they drag them out to the barn? I, I guess they wanted to toy with them. I don't know. Yeah, some of that kind of felt a little, little clunky. So I, I think you're right about that. Uh, in fairness, they're in good company because I watched uh, The Gray Man on the flight home from Montreal, which is the uh, mega budget Netflix film starring Ryan Gosling and mm-hmm. Chris Evans, directed by the Russo brothers who directed Avengers Endgame. And there is almost exactly the same thing that happens in that. It's a completely different setup, but mm-hmm. there is a moment uh, about the halfway point where literally a, a single bullet and the, the movie's over, you know, mm-hmm. problem solved. And they just go, well, we got to get out of here. I don't know that you do. I think you, this is this this is a problem that solves itself very quickly. But again, otherwise, if we don't do that, there's no movie. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. Again, if nothing else, this is not uh, this is not an uncommon thing. Yeah. What What did you think about the end with the with um? If you're if you're this far into the show and you're upset about spoilers, uh, you have only yourself to blame. Yeah, what are but, you doing uh, here, man? Yeah. Right. Uh, but in terms of you know when she, when when you know she buries all the friends and kind of the pet cemetery sort of thing going right. on at the end. Uh, and I, I kept saying that in my head, like when she was like, when she was doing that, I was like, haven't you ever watched pet cemetery cemetery? This is a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but what, what was your thought on that? End? I loved it. And this, this was one of the things I wanted to talk about. So I'm really happy you asked me. I felt like that. I felt like the statement there was that they wanted to show the resilience of women in the face of male violence. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's this great line. Have you ever seen Once Upon a Time in the West? I've not. No. So there's this moment where the main character who was once a, she was a prostitute and she's being threatened by the one of the antiheroes. And I actually have the quote here because uh, I wanted to bring it up. She says to him, when you're finished, because he's, he's threatening her with sexual violence. She says, when you're finished, all I'll need will be a tub of boiling water and I'll be exactly what I was before with just another filthy memory. And she says that to him just to say, I'm not. I'm not scared of this thing you're threatening me with. Like it would suck, but I'll live and you don't mean anything. And I kind of felt like that, that was my takeaway. You know, these guys really, they're, they're egotists, you know, they've been around for a long time. They've been doing this for a long time. One of the, the strengths of the, of the performance of the actor who plays David is he really plays it like a little prince, Mm -hmm. you know, for all his, you know, this is the real America bullshit. He is still this egotistical little princeling. Yeah. In because he's the king of his little castle and he thinks that, well, this is, you know, who, who can stop me? I, you know, I am the one who does violence. I am the one who is, who is scary. And so these women have shown him like, no, you're not shit. You know, whatever it is you do, we're still here and you're just a, you're just another story. We're going to tell each other. Yeah. And, and I really like that. I, I really enjoy that. Cause that's one of the problems I have with slasher films. Not that this was a slasher, but it just, you start to like the characters and then they're just systematically murdered one by one. And because it's almost a, a, a downside in a slasher film when you have really well fleshed out characters, cause I, I mean, I'm getting old, you know, I don't necessarily want people to be die to die badly, especially if I like them, I want them to go have a nice weekend. <laughs> and so this allows kind of both things. You get that thrill of the, Oh shit. But now they're back. And like I said, none of, none of this shit 
mattered. It changed. It changes things because violence always does. You know, you're never the same person after violence, but you're still there. You know, yeah. the core you is still untouched. And I, I kind of thought that was, um, yeah, I kind of thought that was uh, an interesting. I, that, I thought that was a, a cool way to portray that because something else I thought the film did really well was this idea that was show this idea that in the city people who are from comfortable backgrounds who are in comfortable situations especially and i'll admit it like i'm a left-wing guy i lean left but i also really have a problem with a lot of people on the left because i think Mm. they live in a bubble yeah and i mean everyone does right everyone lives in a bubble but i don't hang out with the people on the right who live in bubbles i hang out with people on the left who live in bubbles Mm -hmm. and they get really complacent and really kind of in some ways not everyone just some of these people some people i've met they get really up their own asses we'll just put it that way and there's there's something in this film that made me think of that because after carmen disappears while hanging out with david and the guys the girls go nuts and Mm -hmm. and when when david and the guys come back without her liz demands to be taken to her and liz is you know she's portrayed as sort of the nerdy one the intelligent one she's reading the whole time um and she starts berating david in the car like loudly berating him for being irresponsible and for not taking care of her friend. And I can't, I can't imagine a situation where you are less well advised to do that. You know, like, again, I've met dangerous hillbilly people, Joseph. I've met gangsters and murderers, you know, like if these people have fucked up or even if you think maybe they might be this thing, you don't harangue them when you are at their mercy. But if you have spent your life being really comfortable and, you know, calling people out and doing whatever online or in your little social circle, well, well, where the, the, the worst that'll happen to you is, you know, someone will talk shit about you at the next uh, coffee clutch. You lose touch with that immediate, with the immediacy of danger. And I yeah. really felt like that with that situation with Liz. And uh, again, just watching her harangue this guy, we know he's a murderer. She doesn't, but even if you don't know he's a murderer, he's clearly not a very nice guy. Yeah. And you are totally helpless and you're all your moral superiority. It's, it's like the cyclists who give shit to people in cars, you know, and they cut in front of them. I'm like, dude, your reduced carbon footprint is not a free pass from God. You're still, if you get hit by a speeding car, you're going to get hit by a speeding car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, without getting into too deep into all that, I, I, I generally have kind of a similar feeling like, you know, I'm originally from a larger city. I've, up until moving 10 years ago, roughly, I moved here to Southwest Georgia for the job I have. And I live in a pretty small community, about 17,000 people. But prior to that, I had always lived in major metropolitan areas, the Phoenix area, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the San Francisco Bay area. And then I lived, moved to this small rural area that's two and a half hours from a major city. And there's just some, you know, there, there's definitely a different understanding of life, of even entitlement, you know, like, you know, you mentioned like the, the, you know, the, the danger of, you know, that, that, you know, this character is used to living in a city where the worst that's going to happen, like you said, is, is kind of just, you know, having to get into an argument or have someone in say whatever they're going to say about them. But in a big city, like in popular, polite, you know, kind of large city life, you know, you're generally pretty safe from, you know, from, from, so, I mean, violence happens, but from those interactions are kind of normal for her to be able to say things like that. Yeah, there's a different side of it that's not just, though, like the whole kind of violence thing. Like, 
bringing it maybe to more everyday life in a small community, kind of what people say about each other, kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, you don't want to show your ass, so to speak, as they say, you want to be polite. Like, I, you know, I, this is a thing I've come to realize you live in a small community like this. Everyone knows each other, right? The newspaper here will, will put, puts in the, if you get arrested for D, DUI, it's in the newspaper, right? Oh, and man. yeah, and it's, you know, kind of public shaming. And it's interesting, you know, as a sociologist, as much as gossip and things like that are things we don't like as people, there's sort of a pro-social aspect to it that it keeps people in line, that they don't want to be, you know, kind of uh, ostracized from the tribe, you know, so to speak. So there's a whole other side of it that's not just the whole kind of, okay, she's in a dangerous situation. Why sh sh maybe she's, she should maybe not, you know, kind of be so brazen in that maybe she should have a little more survival instinct. Um, but also like even in, like, in everyday life where maybe it's not putting your life at risk, people who come from cities who are used to maybe having a little bit more of that entitled kind of mindset of I can kind of just demand to see the manager when I don't get what I want and I can be, you know, kind of an ass about it. You, you, you're in a, you, if you move to a place like where I live now and you're like, hey, yeah, you can do that. And they'll be like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. But you do that enough and you'll get a reputation and th there's kind of the social consequences. And, you know, there's there's the negatives that come with that, that dynamic in small communities as well. I get what why there's kind of that rural urban kind of divide. And, you know, I, I think there there's stereotypes both ways. And one of the things oh, I've of course. one of the things I've enjoyed about teaching in a small rural community like this in the South is for all the things that may be still problematic in this part of the country. It's really helped me to see how those stereotypes about the South, the people of the South are also themselves problematic. And, you know, I've met some amazing people who someone who is not from here might, you know, kind of write them off as whatever, you know, uh, whatever stereotype they want about them. But you, you get to know people and you start to realize that, you know, the, how flawed those stereotypes are. So anyway, yeah, that, that, that whole sort of entitledness that comes from how she kind of she carried herself was an interesting note there. Yeah. Again, it just as part of the larger theme of, of resilience mm -hmm. against violence. Yeah. And, and how the characters responded to that just really jumped out at me. And I know there's going to be some people who listen to this who say, well, that's a very, you know, that's a very male thing. You shouldn't have to be, but I have been, I've hitchhiked, you know, a mm -hmm. fair bit in my life, not so much anymore because <laughs> you get older, you realize what you're risking, but you know, when I would do that, people sometimes would say shit that I really disagreed with. Mm -hmm. And you just shut the fuck up because mm -hmm. I, I don't have the power in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not a small person. I'm not a weak person, but I'm in someone else's car. Right. And I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're capable of. And you just got to read the room. So I, I really felt like it was, it, it was very much a part of that character and sort of the, the situation they brought. And, and that, that the sort of the crossing of the two worlds that, that they've talked about in interviews, you know, they wanted to show when you have these two groups of people kind of butting up against each other. And that is a, a very real thing. And even if, again, they hadn't been vampires, that would still be a very risky thing to do. Right. I'd like to think most of the people I hitchhiked with weren't vampires. <laughs> There's some I probably would. Well, the, the good news is if they were, you were charming enough or something about you enough that they decided to leave you be. 
probably just too much cholesterol. They were gonna they were gonna have a heart attack the moment they drained me. <laughs> right. That, Look at the true. triglycerides in this kid. Woo. <laughs> so no, I, I think yeah. Overall, I I loved. Uh, I shouldn't say no. I, I loved. I loved Barry the Bride. I've seen it twice. I'll probably watch it again if they do a physical release the way they did with Allegoria. Uh, I'll pick it up. Um, I wish I could have seen it on the big screen. I think mm. it's a film that would really benefit from that environment. To be honest, I was I was in Montreal when it played at Salem. Uh, when, and I, I, I looked at the cost of getting down there, but it just was not within my budget because I thought this is probably going to be one of my only opportunities to see it on mm-hmm. a big screen. Yeah. But, uh, just wasn't, wasn't in the cards. You know, I think it was a solid second film. Uh, you know, you know, again, there were some areas for, you know, where there's opportunities for, for improvement, but that again, they filmed it in seven days. So I think that's to be expected. Um, and, and I genuinely look forward to the next film. And with with what they've described it as, I think it, in terms of there's some potential in terms of the kind of what it's going to be about. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be a little bit darker, moodier kind of thing. And I, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm not. I don't have anything for the boost, but I I am going to recommend something for folks to check out if they liked this. It's it's not an independent film. But I, if you haven't seen it, John McTiernan's Nomads, I think, shares some notes with this. It's from 1986, stars Pierce Brosnan. It is uh, about an anthropologist who comes home to Los Angeles after being away somewhere, you know, anthropologying, and ends up catching notice of this group of kind of like punk thugs who are just running chaotically through the city and he becomes fascinated by them and tries to figure out who they are and where they come from. And I, there are, again, there's something about it. There's just a handful of little, little bits that I think jibe really well with this film. And, uh, again, that, that sort of, I, I can't quite nail it down and we are running out of time, so I'm not going to try and, and try and develop this further. But yeah, I would say if, if you're looking for something to pair with Barry the Bride or you want something to watch after, I think John McTiernan's Nomads would be thematically similar enough to scratch that itch. All right, my friend, where can everyone find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at JoeComo13, J-O-K-O-M-O-13. And uh, if you happen to be into NFL football, uh, check out the Cardinal Rule on YouTube. It's kind of my other content creation gig. I am on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky as largely the truth. And I am, of course, on the Ghost Story Guys podcast with Paul Bestel. You'll find that everywhere fine podcasts live. Uh, Our music is composed and performed by Elliot Wilder of The Revenants. You can find The Revenants at uh, therevenants1.bandcamp.com, and you'll find their music also streaming on streaming platforms everywhere. Our theme song is Rest in Peace from the album Music from Big Beige. And coincidentally, uh, Spider got his start in Boston. That is where Elliot is living right now. So one of those, uh, yeah. It's a great city to hang out in. It's a lousy city to drive (laughs) in. And I guess that's going to do it, my friend. Yeah. So we'll be back with an audio version in two weeks. And until then, well, remember, we're weird. And you're weird. So why not be weird together? See you next time. Let me ride.